In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht git blether. Hello and welcome to episode five of Scottish Blethers with Helen, Liz and Susan. Coming up in the next 30 or so minutes, we're going to explore the following themes. Liz. Well, today I'm going to be talking about the first international superstar, Sir Harry Lauder. Helen. And I'm going to be talking about something that we all have seen all around the world, tartan. Great. And uh, I'm Susan and I'm going to be talking about outdoor activities in Scotland. Welcome to episode five of Scottish Blethers. And we're getting quite good at this. We're, we're actually beginning to become quite experienced. <laughs> it's certainly been an interesting learning curve. <laughs> so talk to us, Liz. Tell us all about the first international superstar. Okay, well, first of all, Susan, I would ask you as the younger, I mean, Ellen and I are just about compatriots with him, but um, have you ever heard of Sir Harry Lauder? Do you know anything about him? I think I've heard his name, but that's about the limit. Okay. So you're going to have to enlighten me. Well, I remember him as just this silly wee man dancing about in lots of tartan and a kilt and a crooked stick, a piece of contorted hazel, which was his trademark, but I didn't really know an awful lot about him. And the reason that I chose him as my topic is that this month marks the anniversary of his 150th birthday. So Goodness. I thought it was a good opportunity to find out a little bit more. And what a fascinating man he was. As I said in the introduction, he was the first international superstar. So we're talking really big here, talking Michael Jackson, whoever, you know, is the, the superstar of the time. And even Sir Winston Churchill, who became a very good friend of the man, referred to him as Scotland's greatest ambassador. Quite an accolade. So what is it about this little man that made him such a star of his time? Well, he was born into a comfortable background. He was born in Portobello outside Edinburgh. Porty. Porty, yeah, Porty. And his father was a potter. And he moved the family down to Derbyshire, where he'd been given a good job down there in the, pot in the potteries down there. But um, shortly after moving, the father got a chill and that developed into pneumonia. And so at the age of just 32, the father died. Now, Harry was the um, eldest of seven children, and so his mother had to bring the family back to Scotland. They came to Arbroath, where she could live with relatives. So life changed after that. That was the first tragedy in his life. He was a very intelligent little man, and um, so he attended what was called the half school. Now, a half school was he worked one day in the local mill, and as a half-timer, the other day he went to school. So it was a good way of getting an education while he was still working. But once he came of age, the family moved down to Lanarkshire. And in Lanarkshire, like many of the people there, 
he had to get a job and the, the, the job was in the mines. And so it was down the mines that Harry first really started to sing because it was a bleak, desolate job down there. And his pals would egg him on and say to him, come on, son, sing and cheer us up, keep our spirits high. Now, he'd already entered some talent competitions. Um, we had what was called the Band of Hope, which was a temperance movement to keep people out of the pubs. And he says that when he, he sang a temperance movement, a Band of Hope, the, the cheers and the claps of his pals would ring in his ears forever. So he knew exactly what he wanted to do, but here he was stuck down in the mines looking after the pit ponies. And so he used a half day's um, journey to, um, to Glasgow to appear in the Scotia Music Hall. Now, everybody knows that Glasgow audiences are notorious for being difficult. They jeer and they throw rotten tomatoes. Difficult but, never. But he survived. They appreciate quality. <laughs> he survived and he went on to greater things. His act, he realised that singing alone was never going to make him a fortune. And so he realised that he had to introduce comedy. And when he introduced the comedy, he used costumes and makeup and he became this parody of everything Scottish with the kilt and the tam hat and everything. And he became immensely popular. He realised that people couldn't understand Broad Scots dialect. So he sang in perfect English with perfect diction, but with a Scottish accent. And it was massive. He travelled all over the world. 22 tours to America. They absolutely loved him. To Australia, to South Africa, everywhere he went, he was a tremendous success. He was the first man to sell a million records. And his records were songs that he had composed himself, just simple, innocent little songs, but all of them with a great uh, melody, a great song behind them. So things like I Love a Lassie, Roman in the Gloaming, Stop Your Tickling Jock, and is one of his most famous, just a wee Jock and Doris, and I'll tell you more about that at the end. His other great passion was for his country. He was a great patriot, so he did a lot to um, aid recruitment during the First World War. He had great friends. He was friends with royalty and presidents alike. All the great names of the day, like Andrew Carnegie, Charlie Chaplin, Henry Ford. He was a great celebrity. But tragedy was to strike again. He just had one son, and this son, John, studied at Cambridge. He was destined to go into the law, the legal profession, but he joined the Argyll and Southern Highlanders. Mm -hmm. And in the last stages of the war in France, Harry got the news that his son had been killed in action. And it was then that he wrote the famous song that he would become possibly most famous for, which was Keep Right On to the End of the Road. And for all his service, he was knighted to become Sir Harry Lauder. Wow, that's quite a story. So, uh, Helen, what do you remember about Harry Lauder? Well, not what you've, you've not anything that you've been saying, Liz. That was fascinating. Uh, I just remember him as you say, this little comic character with a with the crooked crooked stick, and the songs, of course. Exactly. Exactly. But it's difficult to, to think. But if you imagine that at that time, people were traveling all the, over the world, emigrating from Scotland, anything that was a bit of home for them would have been you know, so nostalgic. Yes. And totally. I, think, I think that what what he has done for um, Scotland and Tartan, I think nowadays we're almost trying to undo the image that he created. 
I think he knew that himself. I mean, yeah. he was a great one for perpetuating these this sort of parody of Scotland. He was a great one for, um, you know, had this reputation of being really mean and he really played up that reputation. And he got the audiences. Yeah, Susan, can you think of anybody today that's perhaps, you know, a similar ambassador for Scotland? Oh, yes, I would go with Billy Connolly. You can't yeah. beat a bit of Billy Connolly. And I suppose from the same, if you're going to draw some parallels, from the same kind of working class background, you know, he was working in the shipyards um, and then doing the kind of the working men's club circuit, you know. So he had his little banjo and it was a bit of comedy. And uh, he moved on from there to being a full time uh, you know, kind of singer and um, comedian and has been all over the world as well and moved into acting, you know. So he moved, he was, uh, what was that film? Miss, Mrs. Brown, wasn't Mrs. it? Mrs. Brown. Yeah, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Brown. Uh-huh, about, about the John Brown and Queen Victoria and the potential or supposed affair happening between them. Uh, and he played um, John Brown. And he's also done documentaries uh, across Alaska and Scotland about those different places. So yeah, he's he's probably in the same tradition. Another parallel is he started life in the in the clubs and pubs of Glasgow as well, singing in the Clutha Bar, which is kind of a sister to the Scotia Bar. Yeah, you know what I like about the 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 club uh, the theatres in Glasgow was that if the performer didn't take the hint and get off the stage if the audience didn't like them the owner had a great big long crooked stick that she would wrap around their neck and yank them off (laughs) 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 okay well um, we'll come back to talk about a wee Jock and Doris later on. But for now, um, I'm going to hand on to Helen to keep the topic of stereotypes of Scotland going with the good old tartan. Yes, well, thank you, Liz. So looking at, at tartan and what is tartan, we see it everywhere. Shortbread tins to weddings, from international football and rugby matches to Prince Charles at Balmoral. Early tartans were simple checks of two or three colours. The colours were extracted from dye-producing plants and trees local to a specific area, and these simple tartans were worn by the local people and became the area or clan tartan. For several centuries, tartan remained part of the everyday garb of the Highlander and became synonymous with clan kinship. And weavers took great pains to give the exact patterns of tartan by identifying each colour of every thread upon a piece of wood which was known as the pattern stick. With the evolution of chemical dyes, weavers were able to introduce more elaborate patterns, including more vivid and and varied colours. And one of the earliest examples of tartan found in Scotland dates to the 3rd century AD where a small sample of woolen check, known as the Falkirk tartan, was found buried close to Antonine Wall. It's a simple two-coloured check or tartan, which was identified as the undyed brown and white wool of the native Sawyer sheep. James V is recorded as purchasing tartan, but the first positive proof of existence of tartan is a German woodcut of about 1631, which shows Highland soldiers in the army of Gustavus Adolphus wearing a tartan philomore, that's a great kilt. In the 16th and 17th centuries, tartan was exported from the Highlands to the south at prices fixed 
to prevent overcharging. The price has been determined by the number and shades of colour in the cloth. But in 1746, after the Battle of Culloden, the act of proscription made the wearing of tartan a penal offence. This act was rigorously enforced, and by the time the act was repealed in 1782, tartan was a thing of the past. But the Great Tartan Revival started in 1822, when George IV visited Edinburgh and suggested that people attending official functions should wear their respective tartans. Queen Victoria fell in love with Balmoral and tartan, and Prince Albert designed the now world-famous Balmoral Tartan. And tartan has now gained international popularity and symbolises the cultural identity of the whole of the Scottish nation. Now, that's just a wee background to tartan. And um, I've got a wee poem, which I'll say later on for you, if you wish, and um, about tartan. And we'll just pass on. I think, Susan, you had some comments about the morality of, of Scotland. Well, no, it's just, uh, I suppose, following on from Harry Lauder and following on from the, the comeback of Tartan um, from 1822 and how when Queen Victoria came up to, to Scotland and then bought the castle at Balmoral and then her husband redesigned the castle. So he had the old one torn down and built up one to his own design that suddenly it became very trendy to come to Scotland and to show, to prove how Scottish you were by wearing your own tartan. Um, and, you know, it was just the period of the Victorians through that that kind of latter part of the, the 1800s when it was, it was the done thing to be seen <laughs> for the shooting season, which of course starts shortly with the Glorious Twelfth. Oh, yes. um, and uh, people would be seen in their, their estate tweeds and their family tartan. And it was just bringing it all back up to date. Now, tartan today, I don't know about you guys, I'm sure you've got plenty of tartan in your wardrobe for, for guiding. <laughs> um, but I wear quite a lot of tartan scarves and ponchos. And... Yeah, I think that's the good thing about it that you can it, it can be anything for everybody. You know that there's yeah. modern there's modern patterns. Anybody can have their own tartan made if they've got the money and the inclination. You can get a, a pattern made, and then of course you have to have it registered. Um, so mm -hmm. even Shrek's got his own tartan. Yes, uh -huh. I mean there's some great tartans out there. There's some fairly bright tartans out there as well. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of the the Scottish one for the Commonwealth Games. Um, when was that in? 2014, 2014, 2014 was, the, was it? Yeah, it was the Olympics 12, wasn't it? And 14 was the, yeah. Yes, it was It was quite bright. Um, I tend to go with ones like City of Glasgow, which I think is a fantastic kind of blues and kind of fuchsia yeah. pinks, but it's it's still quite, the, the fuchsia pink doesn't take over. Sorry, for every tartan, there's different versions of it. Like you have the hunting tartan, which was supposedly red to soak up the blood and then you have the dress tartan which has got a white background so even within the one clan tartan there's lots of different variations of it yeah and even even they go down to not not necessarily just for the occasion like your hunting or your dress but the muted one where they kind of dull down the yeah. the, the colors yeah it's beautiful yeah and what i love about tartan today is that obviously um men folk in scotland will still wear a kilt um and a kilt if they've, got, if they've got the legs for it i don't let my husband wear it tartan trues oh, for really? him oh no i've never, I've never seen legs, a man yeah, the looking last time bad I, 
the last time I saw a pair of legs like my husband, I tell him that there was a message tied to them. <laughs> oh, that's not very fair. Your poor husband. Oh, he's got a lot to answer to. He has. He has. Oh, a lot gosh. to put up with. Oh no, I quite like seeing the men folk all dressed up in their kilts, be it you know informally for the football or the rugby, just with a rugby shirt yeah, or a football like shirt and a yeah. pair of Doc Martens or Timberlands. Um, but also at a wedding when they've you know dressed oh. it right up and yeah. they've got their body prints Charlie jacket and stuff on, yeah. which is kind of like a black jacket. And with, they always look uh, so proud. Yes, pewter or silver buttons. I'm telling you, it's the one occasion when, uh, you know, people aren't looking at the women, they're looking at all the men folk, which makes a bit of a change when you're on a night out, you know, or if it's a a, a black tie event or if it's a wedding. Uh, And they look fabulous in it. And of course, Jamie of Outlander hasn't done the tartan any harm. We've got the Outlander tartan as well, which is very popular. Yes, Definitely. I think I think I think we're very lucky in Scotland. The men are very lucky. There's lots and lots of tartans that they can wear and the kilts, they look fantastic. But there's no such thing as a national dress for women in Scotland. That's true. Um, so we, we wear tartans as as Susan said, with you know, um ponchos or scarves or, or skirts or something. Um but we're we have a lot to choose from. But I'm going to just sort of sum up a little bit about the tartan now. Um, and before we pull it to a close. So here's a toast to Tartan that was written by Murdoch MacLeod. The Tartan, here's to it, the fighting sheen of it, the yellow, the green of it, the white, the blue of it, the swing, the hue of it, the dark, the red of it, every thread of it. The fair have sighed for it, the brave have died for it, foemen sought for it, heroes fought for it, Honour the name of it. Drink to the fame of it. Be proud of it. The tartan. That was excellent, Ellen. I've never heard that before. But as you were as you were saying it, you could just about hear the wiggle, wiggle, waggle of the kilts as it's walking along. <laughs> exactly, it Liz. Exactly. So that's the our we talk about tartan. So I'm going to hand over to Susan now, and you're going to do the outdoor activities in Scotland, Susan. Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. Well. Um... Without wishing to sound too bad, uh, being slightly younger than you ladies, uh, I'm I'm That's still not difficult, fit. Susan. <laughs> I'm saying nothing um, for fear of incrimination. Uh, I have spent the last oh, 20, 30 years uh, just getting out and about in Scotland, doing lots of different activities. And this is the joy of coming to Scotland because we have our outdoor access code. You are able to do a lot of things that you might not be able to do elsewhere. So you can go and climb all the mountains. doesn't matter who owns them. You can go and climb the mountains as long as you don't leave a mess uh, and you don't have any open fires and that kind of thing. You can take your canoe or your stand-up paddleboard and you can go onto any body of water and go and have fun for the day on that body of water. Or maybe, you know, do a canoe down a river over several days and then just have your little bivouac uh, on the riverbank as you make your way down the river. You can go out cycling. You're allowed out on all the dirt tracks and other tracks through the forests. And I've seen quite a few informal tracks when I've been out mountain biking. I used to do quite a lot of that round about Glasgow when I lived there. And there's so much you can do, whether it be on land on or on water. Um, obviously, we have several thousand locks across Scotland, so there's quite a lot of sailing. Uh the canoes and the kayaks going down the river in Glen Etive after we've had a big rainfall is an amazing sight to see. Yeah. 
You've got people out jet skiing, wakeboarding. Kite surfing's one of the new ones. You've got sand yachting on the beach at St Andrews. Plenty of boat trips, um, whether that be for just going out and getting onto the water or maybe doing a little bit of wildlife spotting. Loads of those round about North Berwick and the Bass Rock and the west coast of Scotland. Hopefully I might be doing one of those shortly. Scuba diving. Now, I did quite a lot of scuba diving around the west coast of Scotland and it's great. Also did it in the Firth of Forth um, where we've got the Isle of May and I just remember being about 10 metres or 30 feet underwater and you would have the birds diving down, swimming round about us looking for all the little um, the little fish and then going it back up and it was amazing. We decided just not to carry our dive on when we were moving around uh-huh. the coast. We decided just to sit on the bottom there at about 10 metres and just watching all these birds coming down. It was amazing. You've got rafting, you've got canyoning, you've got um, co-steering, and then you've got all the walks. We've got so many long-distance walks in Scotland that people can do. And the most popular one, of course, being the West Highland Way. Uh, you've got paintball, airsoft, clay target shooting, uh, and I was out clay pigeon shooting yesterday. You've got fishing, you've got golf, you've got all your biking, you've got your segways. But of course, underpinning all this, we have got mountain rescue. And luckily, it never had to call them out. But there are 24 teams of volunteers across Scotland, including two dog associations, Cave Rescue and Search and Rescue Aerial Association. It was founded in 1965 and there's over 850 volunteers. So if you get into trouble in the hills or on the great outdoor outdoors you can phone the emergency services and they'll get somebody to come out and help you and it doesn't cost you a penny it's amazing and they've been doing an avalanche forecasting service since 1988 for those who like doing the ice climbing and everything in the winter so it's really quite something Uh, now liz i know you're based or you have a base up near aviemore so what kind of the great outdoors activities do you do when you're up there well, you're painting quite a picture. I want a holiday in Scotland, Susan, yes. <laughs> on the back of all, all of that. Um, you know, it's absolutely true. And I think with having lockdown recently, where we've been constrained to our homes, my my home is in Salon in Fife, um, a small rural village. And uh, with be, only being able to travel from your home, I've found cycle paths and trails that I didn't even know existed after 30 years of living here. So it's true. I mean, there's so much on your doorstep. And once you get up to the highlands, the world's your oyster, you know, you there's no limits to um, the fun you can have up there. Indeed. And I think, Helen, you're just back from Feshy Bridge, are you not? Yes, yes. We had a, a wonderful time up there. We took the grandchildren up and you're just walking along the river, um, swimming in the river, jumping off the rocks in the river. And the great Danny McCaskill did a trick off the bridge at Feshy Bridge into the river when we were I there. I think you should explain who he is because it's well worth people Googling him. So just explain who he is. He's a he's a fantastic mountain biker who does tricks, just enjoys it for its own sake. He's not um, under contract to anybody. And he's made some wonderful documentaries about where he takes his bike. Very, very clever person. Oh, he's, he's got a great one coming off the ridge in Sky. I think yes. it's called The Ridge, actually. And it's amazing. It's yeah. the scenery that he does as the backdrop to it. I mean, oh. it's, it's definitely worth looking up on YouTube to get examples of them. Yes, I mean, there's just so much you can do in Scotland in the great outdoors, be it summer or winter. Um, I'm looking out on the sunshine just now. And uh, once we've finished doing this podcast, I'll be out there on the kayak on the loch. So looking forward to doing a bit of that as well. Absolutely. And of course, that, you know, when you, you tell the great picture of Scotland selling the, the scene, it doesn't quite bring in the fact that quite often it can be raining. 
Um, quite often you can stop us bitten to death by midges, the piranhas of Scotland. But on a day like today, you know, if you get the scenery, the heather coming into bloom, it's amazing. There's nowhere to beat it. So that brings us on to our word of the day. Liz, you were saying something earlier. I was like, what is she talking about? (laughs) So I think I'm going to let you kick this one off. Okay, well, if you were listening to Harry Lauder's song, A Wee Joch and Doris, you might be wondering, what on earth is A Wee Joch and Doris? Well, literally, it means from Gaelic, drink of the door. So we would probably know it as one for the road. You might even know it as a stirrup cup because it was literally as you had one foot in the stirrup getting ready to go home or just have another wee one for the road. So it's the practice so of providing comes from. a last drink for a guest before they, they leave for home. So the actual words of the song, just a wee dog, join in Helen, you know it too, just, just a wee dog, wee dog and Doris. Doris. Just, just a wee dog, that song. Just a wee dog and Doris before we gang along. There's a wee waiting and a wee path. And if you can say it's Robert Moonlicht, you can. So you've maybe got a few words, Scottish words to learn yet. We'll come back to them. Oh my God. That was um, a treat. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. Well, perhaps following on from that, it's just as well that my word is Sassanach. Oh. And Sassanach is a name, a word that's normally used to refer to a non-Highlander, a non-Gaelic-speaking Highlander, Highlander. and even the Scottish Lowlanders, myself and Liz, and, well, not so much Susan, because you're in the Highlands, Susan, would be referred to as Sassanachs. But nowadays, it probably is now used to refer to the English. If if somebody is is English, it could be referred to as a Sassanach. It's not derogatory, it's just kind of more saying, you know, you don't come from the highlands of Scotland. So that's a obviously used a lot. Yes, used a lot. Used a lot in the Outlander, uh, and certainly on the Outlander forums and stuff that I'm on, that you see a lot of people referring to each other as Sassanach, or, you know, that was uh, one of the key characters referred to his wife as Sassanach. So there you go. So yes, another word coming back into use and being more widely known. Well, I've kind of got two words for you, um, just because they kind of meant the same to me and it's ones I'd learned from my parents. Um, Fankel and burich. <laughs> and to me, if you got into a fankel, you'd, it's like wrapping yourself up in ropes and you can't find the end of it and you're all, it's a big naughty ball. Uh, and burich was just pretty much the same. It's a mess. Oh, your your bedroom's an absolute burach. Go and tidy it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so burach, B O U R A C H. So it's just it's just one big. I don't know. Did you ever say that to your kids, ladies? Well, I'm just thinking as you said that if any of our listeners have got children or grandchildren, they may want to go and find out about the weaker Kubri centipede. It's a wee folk song, and it's about the weaker Kubri centipede with her hundred legs was asked how she was able to dance. And when she thought about it, she couldn't work it up. And her legs got into such a mess, they got into a fankle. Ah. She said, several kneecaps and an ankle. Oh, <laughs> That sounds a little bit like a poem by William McGonagall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's another topic for another day. <laughs> Indeed. There we have it, our blether for this week. 
If you'd like to engage with us on social media, everybody out there, um, we're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as Scottish Blethers. We'd love to hear what you think of the episode and any topics that you might like us to cover in, the f- in future Blethers. So please do get in touch. So it's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye.